Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, actually recording live from the Brooklyn Bunker. Um, Folks, I want to start off today's show with an apology. Um, Last week ended in such an incredible uproar, both just, I mean, I, I I don't even need to go into detail. There was just a lot of emotion, a lot of things transpired, a lot of news broke. And in the midst of that, um, we lost track of the fact that we hadn't recorded um, today's opening. And, you know, but realizing that both myself and my producer, uh, Andrew, who is who makes the show um, go up and happen uh, on a regular basis, were exhausted. Um, and so took the weekend and then surprise, didn't realize um, ahead of time that we hadn't put up today's show. So that is the reason why it is late. I ask that um, you give the both of us grace um, because it's something, you know, we take our work, we take this work, particularly in this time, incredibly seriously. We also take our mental health and our rest serious as well. Um, and in our rush to put the week behind us, um, you know, were, didn't, you know, forgot things. Um, and that happens. So I say that to say, um, I appreciate all of you. You are important to us, to me. Um, and we will do our best to make sure in the future that that does not happen again. All right. So, Over the weekend, I really do hope that you all took a much-needed break from the news. Um, Too many people, too many of my friends uh, did not and were glued to Twitter and were glued to Instagram and were glued um, to the news, and it was a lot. 
And I got a lot of messages sent to me by, you know, various people in particular talking about what they are seeing as even a more egregious act on top of the horrific images that we had seen um, since Russia, since Putin, I will say. I'm not going to, you know, I'm also going to be mindful, more mindful than the mainstream media. This is not Russian aggression against the Ukraine. This is Putin's aggression against the Ukraine. Um, and the fact is that his own country is, is not behind him, that we have seen massive, massive historic protests taking place in Estonia, taking place in Amsterdam, taking place, um, all over the world, taking place here in New York city, massive protests taking place in Russia, where the penalty the penalty for this type of, you know, domestic disobedience, right, um, can meet you with not only physical scars, but emotional ones as well. Um, we're talking about an environment where it is illegal for you to protest, right? That you can be slapped with fines and jail time or worse, depending on you know, how favorable the police and the government are feeling to you at that time. I mean, this is what it is like, what it is going to be like to live in a country whose leader gets to do whatever the fuck they want. Right. And there is no, um, there, there is no accountability, right. They're accountable to no one but themselves. And by virtue of the Russian people risking their own safety and lives in order to say, to show the world, right, that we are not with this man, um, is courage like beyond, right? Is courage beyond. And, you know, when we are watching and seeing images of Ukrainian people, you know, taking up arms, right? They told, they said to all of the men in the country, if you are of, you know, fighting age, that you can send your family, you know, off to safety, but you must stay here and defend your country. And there are many women that are doing the same. Um, there are many old people older than that can fight that are doing the same. Um, that are like, we're not going out like this. And I think that the extraordinary courage that they're showing the bravery, um, is amazing, but it is also, they shouldn't have been put in that position. No one should be put in that position. And what pains me right now about the mainstream news. And I know that I oftentimes rail against mainstream media, because I think that when you have tens of millions of people watching your shows, watching your networks, and you are so fucking irresponsible in your coverage, right? You are the perpetuator of white supremacy. You are the perpetuator of stereotypes and lies. You tell me why in this country where we have just a significant population of Ethiopians, just a significant population, right? To those that are in the Ukraine, why you don't cover how their countries are being ravaged by war, why it is okay to say, oh my God, when you look at the whiteness of these people's skin and you say, how could this happen? How could this be happening to them? But it's something that you assume would happen to Ethiopians or Palestinians or, you know, uh, Persians or what have you, like you assume you know, horror and, and, and tragedy in those areas of the world. But, oh, if it happens to be in an area that is predominantly white, 
right? Then, oh my God, we must do all the coverage because stuff like this just doesn't happen here. So what you're saying, right? And Amanda Seals, who I cannot stand, the actress Amanda Seals, but I thank my friend Alicia who sent me the video of her. Amanda Seals said, so what you are saying then is that these other people in these other countries, in these other parts of the world are not civil. Like they're not real people, right? They're not people worthy of empathy. They're not people worthy of, of, uh, of, uh, compassion. They're not people worthy of value in terms of coverage, right? And so how do you change the perception of regions and certain countries by humanizing them. And mainstream media has the opportunity and dare I say the fucking obligation to do so, but they don't because those that are sitting in the C-suites look and are white and are addicted to whiteness, right? And the power thereof. And anytime that someone else says, well, what about everybody else? Oh, why do you have to bring race into it? Understand that race is brought into every fucking thing by virtue of you being intentional or not. So you can be intentional about what is missing, what perspectives are missing, what coverage is missing, or you can just choose not to cover it at all, but understand that the decisions that you are making are decisions that are built and based on race and racism. Which brings me to what people have been sending me all weekend long. There are horrible stories, once again, coming out of the bordering nations to the Ukraine that are white nations that are turning away immigrants of color, namely African immigrants, right? Latinx immigrants, Muslim immigrants, right? That they are turning people away and letting the white Ukrainians pass. But all of those other people that happen to be in the Ukraine that are also human fucking beings, that are also fleeing violence and looking for safety with their families and are literally and figuratively being left out in the cold because they are looking at them, looking with tears and fear in their eyes and saying that your melanin does not match what we want in our country. And I tweeted this weekend and I said, why is it so difficult for white people to be decent? And I am asking that question outright. Why is it so difficult to just be fucking kind to people who are not white? I, I don't get it. I really don't. And as a black person in this world, not just in this country, but in this world, living in this black body, knowing that everyone, Everyone fucking hates you. You have no idea what that feels like. By virtue of nothing other than your existence in a black body. That you are dismissed in your moment of need because your moment of need cannot possibly be the same as what the white person that is fleeing along next to you. It's disgusting. And for people to say like, oh, why do we have to bring race into it? Why the fuck do you have to bring race into it? Why is it so difficult? 
for white people, not just in America, but around the world to see black people and other people of color as people worthy of safety, of shelter, of compassion, of empathy, of love. Why is that so difficult? How is it that your reptilian brain, right, which is functioning on fight and flight mode, how is it that you don't look at the person next to you who is doing the same and say, how can I help you? Because you are my brother and my sister in tragedy at this time that we are forging a bond that others will not be able to see or understand unless they are in literally these shoes. But no, in the midst of tragedy, you find time to create more tragedy. And that to me is outrageous. Don't talk to me about people's borders being overwhelmed and don't talk to me about COVID because when you are letting in thousands and thousands of white people and denying everybody else, you are sending a very clear message and we get it. But don't think that you're going to do so over the cloak of darkness or be able to make up an excuse other than the one that's staring us all in the fucking face. You know, we cannot change this shit because we have mainstream media that is complicit in it. That will come up for every excuse as to why this certain group of people that are African, that are Arab, that are whatever, are savages, not worthy of safety. But, oh, look, and let me tell you these heartbreaking stories about white families. It is a self-perpetuating prophecy over and over and over and over again. And I, for one, am going to consistently and outright call bullshit all the fucking time. Because the only people that consistently harp on and bring up and make everything, including policy about race and racism, are white people in power. And they would like to distract everyone by saying, oh no, we're not talking about X, Y, and Z. You think that by leaving it out, we don't know what you're doing? It's bullshit. And I want people to call the networks. I want people to call their representatives. I want people to be called out. You know, there are times when we say, are we calling people out? Or are we calling them in? No, in this particular situation, I'm calling these bordering countries out. I'm calling the media out. I'm calling representatives who do not bring attention to this travesty out. Racism is never going to die out because it's rebirthed every single day. Oh, it's the young people. They care. No, they don't actually, because they've been force fed the same diet of white supremacy that you have. But until we acknowledge the truth, until we understand how this happened, we're never going to stop it. It's never going to ease, not in our lifetime and not in our children's lifetime and not in our children's children's lifetime.
You know, and this, friends, comes on the backdrop of the historic announcement, right, that was made on Friday about Biden's uh, Supreme Court nominee. And here's what I want to say about Judge Brown. Judge Brown is beyond qualified, right? Judge Brown was chosen because she is beyond qualified. The, her academic pedigree, her legal pedigree is beyond reproach. Unlike the pieces of shit that Republicans put up by virtue of their whiteness. Oh, they're qualified, not according to the American Bar Association. And once again, at the highest level, I just want to show people how black people need to be overqualified for shit that mediocre white people are given by virtue of the relationships that they have. Right? You have to have a pedigree beyond reproach when you are black in this country, but you can scream on the top of your lungs, show the uttermost disrespect and hostile demeanor as a Brett Kavanaugh did and become Supreme, become a judge, become a Supreme court judge of the United States. You can be so disgusting and foul as a Donald Trump and become president, but you cannot be overly qualified for the position and be a woman as Hillary Clinton. You are hidden away in the attic of the white house. If you are the black woman, vice president only brought out for pageantry to say, look at the history that we have. And then let's quickly put her back in the attic for before white people realize that Joe Biden had a black woman as his running mate. I'm tired of the fucking lies because they're so blatant. It's like cartoonish at this fucking point. Again, you want me to believe that this administration is so much better than the other ones. And yet we have had to put the vice president on a milk carton wondering where the fuck she is and why she isn't being utilized for anything other than these flash moments where race is really at play and you want to use her for your own pageantry. And then you want to tell these very same people whose needs you've been denying, overlooking and ignoring that, oh, if we lose the upcoming midterm elections, it's going to be your fault. No, it's going to be your fault. Mr. President, it's going to be your fault. <sighs> there are so many days where I am utterly just beside myself done. You know, because it is everywhere, right? I keep re-watching The Matrix over and over again. The whole series, the new one, just I keep watching it over and over again because racism is very much like The Matrix. When Lawrence Fishburne's character Morpheus says in the first Matrix to Neo, the Matrix is all around you. 
It is what you eat. It is what you taste. It is on your clothes. It is everywhere. And it's hard to explain it unless you're in it. That is what it is like to deal with racism in this world as a black person. Doesn't matter if you are black American, black Caribbean, Afro-Latina, right? It doesn't matter if you are from, directly from one of the nations of Africa. It does not matter. To exist in a black body in this world is to understand what it is like to live in the matrix of racism day in and day out. Sometimes subtle, sometimes just a series of microaggressions, of purses being closed, of being followed around stores, right? Then it escalates into being shot in your own car or in your own bed or on the playground. But it is all around you all the time. And it is your responsibility and yours alone to go through this matrix and somehow come out alive with your emotional well-being intact. So forgive us, right, for the consistent exhaustion that we are exhibiting these days because going through the Olympics matrix of racism day in and day out is taking its fucking toll. And this is why I have said many times that for black folks, for people of color in this country that are deciding that they don't want to fucking vote, I hear you. That are opting out of giving a fuck, I hear you. I want to tell you right? That we are not just fighting for our generation that we are living in, but for the generations to come, right? And this is our part of the marathon that may never be completed. But I want to do, I want to run my leg the best that I can, but there are going to be days where I'm going to put my feet up and let somebody else run it. Because I too need to rest. Because sometimes it feels like that racism matrix is just closing in in every fucking direction. And I literally cannot breathe. I've been saying for a long time on this show that things are going to get bloodier before they get better. And we are seeing that happen all around us. We are seeing escalations of violence in our own country. And what I will say about that is, again, mainstream media doesn't use the same language it uses for other countries when they are seeing great upheavals and political decline. They don't use that same language here. They don't talk about evasions, right, invasions in the United States. But I want us to be very clear about the fact that the insurrection that, in, that occurred was not the first invasion that we had seen over the last couple of years. No, there have been state capitol buildings that have been taken over. There is currently a fucking caravan of Trumpers headed from California to Washington, D.C. to pull an Ottawa, Canada in. In Washington, D.C. We are being invaded. Right? These people have their guns. 
They have been holding buildings hostage only to have some plans disrupted on kidnapping elected officials. But yet you want to look down on countries like Haiti. You want to call out countries like Colombia, like the Ukraine, like Russia, but you don't are not paying attention to what the fuck is escalating up in here. Have eyes on everybody else, got opinions on everybody else, but don't paying attention to what is happening in your own country. Thinking that we're still beyond reproach, wake the fuck up. So when you're watching the news, call out the fucking news, tweet them out. Oh, really? At CNN, at MSNBC, really? Because we forget how much power we have as a collective. That's the point of this show. That's the point of my work in general is for people to recognize. No, no, no. Right. Nobody steals your vote. If your vote ain't valuable. Nobody tries to lock up and incarcerate and minimize and depress and oppress black people. If you didn't think as a collective, we were powerful and you were that fucking fragile. So when we really see things, I want us to see it with eyes wide open. I want us to understand all of the levers, all of the systems that are at play at the same time. So that we can figure out our way through because we ain't getting over this. The only way that we are moving forward is through, right? And that is going to be like going through a motherfucking tornado. We got to get ready. Folks, what a week, what a week it has been. Uh, always excited to have the opportunity to speak with our dear friend, MSNBC legal analyst and the host of Justice Matters, Glenn Kirshner, to walk us through, I mean, uh, from, from my uh, outrage uh, last week at the news breaking around the two lead prosecutors in the Manhattan District Attorney's case, uh, which was initially in the hands of Cy Vance. Since the election, uh, the Manhattan DA has changed batons to uh, Alvin Bragg. And there has always been hope. And what was announced before Cy Vance left, Glenn, is that, you know, we had the Manhattan District Attorney working hand in hand with uh, New York State Attorney General Tish James. What I have, you have, what you have, I have, which made us believe that in New York, right, maybe just possibly accountability and justice was actually going to come to fruition. Then bombshell. The two lead prosecutors resign. Um, so far, they have said what has been said, I should say, is that they are resigning because after a month of no movement um, that they have heard or were told that it is of doubt that the Manhattan DA's office will move forward with their case. What are you th what what initially did you think and feel? And then what are you feeling at the office's pushback and saying, oh, no, 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 that's not true. Yeah, there's so much to unpack in this story. Who, who thought that, you know, accountability and justice would be this darn hard on every single front? Um, you know, 
Accountability really shouldn't be too much to ask for when our high government officials just go on an unabated crime spree, which has been Donald Trump's life, let's face it. So my heart sank when I saw that the two, you know, longtime prosecutors, I can't call Pomerantz a career prosecutor because even though he was a white collar prosecutor, a mob prosecutor, when he was with the Southern District of New York U.S. Attorney's Office, he then went over to the other side. I tried never to call it the dark side when you go do <laughs> defense work and you defend the people right. who have been committing right. Everybody these horrific crimes. is deserving, right? Yeah. Everybody's everybody deserving deserves, of a and I really believe everybody deserves a fair defense, and I embrace it and I'll fight for it. You're just not going to get that fair defense from me because I'm comfortable trying to hold folk accountable for their crimes and protect the community. Um, so, but these were two long-term serious prosecutors, Pomerantz and Dunn. And then when I saw that they they coordinated their resignations at the same mm -hmm. time, obviously to make a point, mm -hmm. and the news broke that that point was Alvin Bragg didn't seem determined enough or committed enough or persuaded that Donald Trump himself should be prosecuted, should be held accountable. Let's stop right there, Danielle, because I find it as a former career prosecutor impossible to believe, not just difficult to believe, that the Trump organization that was run in dictator fashion by Donald Trump mm -hmm. could be criminally indicted for a 15-year-long criminal scheme to defraud in the first degree, that Donald Trump's right-hand man, Alan Weisselberg, chief financial officer for the Trump Organization for decades, could similarly be convicted of a 15-year criminal scheme to defraud in the first degree and lots of other crimes. And we just don't have the goods on Donald Trump. I don't believe that for a minute. I will not impugn Alvin Bragg's morals or integrity. I don't know what is behind this mm -hmm. dust-up, this considerable dust-up in the New York District Attorney's Office, but they better write their ship because it's it feels wrong, it smells wrong, it looks wrong. Now, like you say, they're trying to back up in a hurry and they just announced that yep. they've appointed a new chief prosecutor mm -hmm. whose name is Susan Huffington. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. Susan Huffinger. Okay. And so I'm doing some combat research on her and what we know is that yes, she did prosecute in that office previously for eight years back in 1992 to 2000. And then for the last 22 years, she's been in private practice, making lots of money, I assume, representing whomever. I don't know because I'm not going to say because I don't know. That doesn't give me an enormous comfort level that Alan Bragg, a politician, also a, a, a serious consequential lawyer and former prosecutor himself. But once you start running for office, Danielle, you're a politician. He gets elected, he comes in, yep. and in one of the most consequential investigations and prosecutions New York has ever seen, he says, yeah, I'm not feeling going after Donald Trump. That, that doesn't make sense to me. And it doesn't give me a ton of confidence that he has now brought back after 22 years in private practice Somebody who I'll bet if we dig down was probably a big supporter of his in his campaign. We'll have to find out. I and always say follow the money. The there's there's a team of 25 mm -hmm. assistant district attorneys dedicated to the Trump 
uh, investigation and the Trump org and Weisselberg prosecutions. That's a huge team of local prosecutors, of, of New York state prosecutors. And she's going to head up that team. Let's hope that they get this thing back on track if it has fallen off the tracks and continue to follow the facts and follow the evidence wherever it, it leads. Because if they do, it's going to lead to an indictment of Donald Trump. And as long as they don't you know, start to throw politics into the mix, then hopefully we're still going to be OK. But th this, you know, justice took a bit of a blow in the last couple of days. You know, I'm telling you that every time I talk to you, it seems like justice is getting the hell beat out of it, right? Um, you know, I, I thought that one of the most pointed tweets that I saw when this news broke and everyone uh, who's been following this took a collective gasp was E. Jean Carroll. E. Jean Carroll, who has uh, accused Donald Trump of sexual assault, right? And then because of the, um, what is it, the, the, the term, right, uh, the, statu the statutory limitations on that charge, then was suing him for, was it defamation? Yep. Uh, defamation and libel. So E. Jean Carroll tweets out, and she's like, my God, will anybody stand up to this man and hold this man accountable? Right. And I'm thinking to myself, so if I'm E. Jean Carroll and I'm one of the 20 some odd women that have accused Donald Trump of sexual assault, and then you have the Department of Justice that had decided to defend Donald Trump against E. Jean Carroll and not Trump's Department of Justice. Biden's Department of Justice deciding that this would be the case that they would take up to represent Donald Trump in defend, <laughs> and defend him against the claims that they know good goddamn well that this man is guilty of. So when you take that and then you take this and I'm saying to myself and I said it on Twitter, I said to people, you know, you need to follow the money because it was our conversation, Glenn, where you alerted me to the fact of where did Cy Vance get some of his donations from, right? Like this is, these are literally open secrets that nobody does the due diligence of digging into and figuring out how would you with impaneling this grand jury for an extended period of time that your predecessor did, because there is so much information to go through that in this finite amount of time, like we are literally working against the clock. How would it make sense, Glenn, for you to just slow walk for an entire month, allow an entire month when your predecessor impaneled a grand jury for an extended period of time for you to waste that time? How does that make like, is there a way that that makes sense that actually smells right? No, but here's what I'll say. Anytime there is turnover at the top of a significant prosecutorial organization, whether it's a district attorney's office or my former office, the U.S. attorney's office for the District of Columbia. I served there under 10 U.S. attorneys. All of them were appointed by the president, were confirmed by the Senate. Some came from Republican administrations, some from Democratic administrations. Every last one of them would come in and would shake things up, would put their own, kind of make their own mark on the organization would change priorities, would shift focus, would do. And that results in some turnover. It, 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 that's natural. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The same, I'm sure, is true of a district attorney's office when a new district attorney is elected. And I don't want to get derailed over the wisdom 
of having, you know, people like district attorneys and judges be elected rather than appointed because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there is a friction there between the responsibilities of a judge and a district attorney, both of whom need to do justice fairly and impartially without, you know, fear or favor or prejudice. Mm-hmm. And when you're running for office, I'm going to be tough on crime. I'm going to lock them all up. I'm going to, well, there's an inconsistency there from my perspective. Setting that aside, a new district attorney comes in, there's going to be a shakeup. There are going to be new priorities announced. So it doesn't surprise me that there's turnover, but this turnover would not be the turnover I would expect, particularly if Alvin Bragg was a savvy politician, never mind a savvy district attorney, you know? Um, So yeah, this is, there's no way to look at this through a rose-colored lens and say, you know what? This is actually a good thing or an okay thing. This is a bad thing. But we don't want to lose sight of the really good things mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. have happened in the last week. I think I lose track of the days, Danielle. <laughs> I don't know, So stop I don't me know, if some of this happened eight days ago. <laughs> right. um, but I mean, when Judge Mehta in yes. Washington, yep. D.C., a, yep. former, a former public defender in the courts of D.C., I know the good judge. He is a serious man, a serious jurist, and he takes the responsibility of being fair to both sides deadly seriously, the prosecution and the defense. And his words in refusing to throw out the insurrection lawsuit against Donald Trump, his words were that Donald Trump's January 6th speech were the essence of civil conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Danielle, from a federal judge, that couldn't be more ominous or more dangerous for Donald Trump because he's shining a light on a roadmap to prosecuting Donald Trump for inciting an insurrection. That was a huge development, bigger than was the New York uh, district attorney's development. One was good, one was bad. The other thing is we can't forget another judge in New York, Judge Engeron, said in telling Trump and Don Jr. and Ivanka, you will sit for depositions, period. And I will not throw out a lawsuit because you claim Tish James doesn't like you. She ain't supposed to like criminals. That was my editorial comment. You didn't say that. But But here's what he did say, precisely. He said, I reviewed thousands of documents in camera behind closed doors that had been subpoenaed by Attorney General James civil investigators. And then he commented, that she had uncovered, quote, copious amounts of possible, no, copious evidence of possible financial fraud. I don't use 25 cent words. I'm a gutter kid from Jersey. I wouldn't say copious. I would say tons of freaking evidence of financial fraud by Trump and company. Danielle, that motion that was being litigated where Judge Engeron spit those words out, that's a routine motion to quash a subpoena. Happens thousands of times around the country every day. Judges don't say things like that. They just either grant or deny the motion. Judge Engeron was so incensed that not only did he say that, but he said if Tish James hadn't investigated this and hadn't subpoenaed these three, it would have been a dereliction of duty. Of duty, yep. I mean, these are dramatically bad developments for Donald Trump. And these are paving the way for accountability for Donald Trump. But- then we are now focused on the New York DA, you know, troubling development, and we can't lose sight 
of the really good developments. Let me ask you this, because, you know, like I said at the top, what was good a couple of months ago is when we learned, the public learned, that there was going to be coordination between the Manhattan District Attorney and the New York Attorney General's office. What do we make, right? What 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 can you tell us about what, if any, coordination we can anticipate? Or what, because we know that Tish James's route is a civil one, right? It is it is not jail time. It is fines. But I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to undercut that because she got Trump University shut down, right? Like, so there is an opportunity here to have the whole entirety of Trump organization shut down, have its doors shuttered. It doesn't preclude it from being able to open up under a, a different, you know, uh, under a different title and a different space and all of those things. Um, and no one is doing a perp walk, but where does she bring all of the evidence that she has collected if she's met with a, oh no, we're good here from the Manhattan DA? Great question, and it really depends on, I'm sorry to say, the personality of Alvin Bragg and whether he is going to, you know, kind of hold closely his investigation and not want to play nice with his counterpart, uh, New York uh, Attorney General Tish James, or if he's going to do what public servants should and must do, sort of work cooperatively and as a team, the way we came to learn the AG's office and the DA's office had been working and stay that course. Um, and on the shutting down Trump universe, uh, Trump organization front, mm -hmm, Trump mm -hmm. organization is done. I would bet a buck on that. That's mm -hmm, my betting mm -hmm. line. Because Mazars, his accounting firm, not only walked away Dumped from him, him. Yep. but said, we disavow 10 years of work we've done for you because inferentially you've been feeding us garbage numbers, unreliable mm -hmm. numbers on the financial front. And they flipped on him. Make no mistake about it. They flipped on him. The Trump organization is done one way or another. I have no doubt about that. But as you say, Tish James largely only has civil jurisdiction with a little bit of an exception. There are a couple of criminal statutes that she can use to go after businesses who are engaged in uh, criminal practices, financial accounting practices and all. And that actually is a little bit of criminal jurisdiction she can exercise. So that's a little bit of an ace in the hole for her. But we expect the lion's share of the criminal charges to be brought by the district attorney's office. I can only hope Alvin Bragg is the kind of person who will embrace as a teammate, a full teammate, Tish James and her investigators and her lawyers, and they will get back on track and proceed together. You know, I can tell you that the, the sentiment about Alvin Bragg here in New York is that he is making enemies on every single side and that clearly, um, and again, I do not know him, but I, my job is to speculate, uh, is that he, I don't know what job he thought that he signed up for, um, but he is not doing it. Uh, and I think that he, you know, by virtue of their pivot uh, with regard to, no, 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 no. Uh, I know the two, you know, the two leads quit, but oh, we're still doing the thing um, shows you that he didn't, he didn't anticipate um, how this was going to play out and how it was going to look as if he thought that nobody was paying attention to the most watched uh, case outside of Georgia right, to the most uh, watched case. So I, I think that the calculation on his part shows that he is not at the big kid's table. And that's, that is where it's coming out of my mouth. Um, Let's hope he grows in the job, though. We, we can all grow in the job. Yes. Right? Let's hope he grows in the job.
Yeah. So right before I let you go, um, Glenn, uh, also got lost in the news, Ivanka Trump uh, going to uh, be interviewed before the commission. Thoughts on that? Um, I think it's good. Now, uh, let's see how forthcoming she will be. And I have a feeling this is what I'm beginning to sense. And I want to talk about Rudy Giuliani's potential appearance before the House Select Committee in a second, if we have time. But um, my sense is the House Select Committee is not treating these people the way prosecutors would treat them. Prosecutors Mm -hmm. say, take it from me, you want to cooperate? You want to provide information? You don't get to determine what questions you answer and what questions you don't. The prosecutors will ask you the questions we believe are relevant to our investigation. I think the House Select Committee is carving out niches where they can get really potentially damning damning information out of the witnesses without necessarily trailing off into areas that might incriminate the witnesses. The House Select Committee has the opportunity to proceed that way where prosecutors generally don't. It's kind of an all or nothing proposition. And if Mm -hmm. you want to invoke the fifth because you committed crime, fine. We will either prosecute you and make you a full cooperating witness or we will grant you immunity. It's an all or nothing proposition. We don't take half a loaf from witnesses who have important information. It looks like the House Select Committee is taking half a loaf. And I do not criticize them for that, because if that half a loaf tells us who in the Republican Party, for example, is complicit in the insurrection, I want that half a loaf and I'll make some nice, tasty sandwiches out of it. Here's what we just learned from um, it was a Hugo Lowell, I think, in The Guardian yesterday, who's been doing some great out front reporting on the House Select Committee stuff. He said Rudy Giuliani is in the process of negotiating an appearance by which he will testify about the complicity of Republican members of Congress in the insurrection. Now, what does mm. that tell us? By, mm-hmm. by inference, I guess he's not going to tell us about Donald Trump's crimes. But you know what? If he tells me about Jim Jordan's crimes and Kevin McCarthy's crimes Paul, and, um, and, and, and Louis Gohmert's yep. crimes yep. and Ron Johnson's crime and Laura Boebert, whatever the mm-hmm. Boebert name is, tell me about all that, Rudy. I'll take it. But before I believe a word out of Rudy's mouth, if Rudy tells me his full legal name is Rudolph William Lewis Giuliani, I'm going to need him to produce his, his driver's license, Come his on. passport, his birth <laughs> certificate. And yes. if I get three forms of corroboration, then I will believe your name is Rudy William Lewis Giuliani. But short of that, I'm not believing a word out of your mouth. But you know what? The enemy of my enemy may be my friend. And if the enemy of my enemy can tell me who in Congress is criminally complicit in the insurrection, you're darn right. I will talk to even a Rudy Giuliani. I appreciate that, Glenn. We're going out on a fire note today with some with some fireworks. As always, we appreciate you. And let's see what the cards draw for us next week. Look forward to talking to you again next week, Danielle. And now for your woke moment of wellness. Friends, I want to share with you that, you know, for the past couple of months, um, I had re-cloistered myself away in my home as Omicron was surging in New York. Um, And now as we are seeing, you know, the CDC, different states, everyone deciding to lift their mask mandates and like pretend as if COVID is done. 
I, for one, am continuing to be as vigilant as I was. But what I've realized, too, is that I need to go back into the world. I miss the world. And we all need to understand what our own safety measures and precautions are going to be, right? That we cannot rely on the CDCs or on our governors to keep us safe. We know now what keeps people safe, right? But you also need to understand your own tolerance for risk, right? And for me, this past weekend, I decided to see friends that I haven't seen in months, some of them since the beginning of the pandemic, right? Because even though there have been different times of the world opening up, we have all kind of still managed to stay in our COVID pods, in our neighborhoods, right? We're working from home. So you're not really exposing yourself out in the way that you were. This past weekend, I decided to reconnect with friends. And can I tell you how whole it made me feel? How much joy, laughter, just exchanging hugs and like catching up. I felt like I was drinking in sunshine. I did not know until, you know, at the end of the weekend, how much I needed to be around my friends, all the different types of friends and environments that I'm fortunate enough to have. It was so recharging, so joyful. And yes, there was risk, right? There is risk in gathering with other people. You hope that, you know, folks, we had windows open and doors open um, and, you know, take your own mitigation methods and measures, um, but it was needed. It was necessary. And so as spring is, you know, slowly making its way um, to us here on the East Coast and in different parts of the country, if you are feeling depleted, if you are feeling empty because you need community, you need to re-engage, do so. Do so. It filled my soul in such wonderful ways, so much so that friends, after we were together, were texting and saying, I love you. Thank you. This was great. Let's do it again soon. I missed you. I missed you so much. It's needed. We need the human connection. We need the community, particularly now right? I wrote a piece uh, at the end of last week. It was more of like a creative writing piece on putting myself, putting all of us in the shoes of those that are fleeing war, that went to bed like we did, right? In their apartments, in their homes, you know, thinking about what they're doing the next day, you know, going into work, planning out dinner, all of these things. And then boom, literally air raids, explosions. For 30 years, they've never seen what is happening. 30, 40 years. They haven't seen this type of fighting in Europe since World War II. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so we create these ideas about what these other countries look like and are. But if you were looking at the images past the destruction, you were looking at fucking coffee shops and restaurants and metros and museums and concert halls, all of the same shit that we have here. So if what is happening there can happen, it can happen here. 
What does your preparation look like? I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it, but it's important. And people say, well, who do you think is going to invade us? Motherfucker. I just talked about invasions that are being done by our own citizens. I'm not talking about outside threats. I'm talking about our internal domestic threats that no one's paying attention to. So for this woke moment of wellness, reconnect, re-engage with community, with your friends, with your family. We need it now more than ever. We need each other now more than ever. That is it for me, friends. Be well and stay woke. That is it for me today here, folks, on Woke AF as always. Power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why GameBridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. GameBridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.